You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. And we're going into a new series, um, and I'm excited for it. I don't know if you got a chance to check out our Facebook video and our website video introducing this new series. Um, but in that video, Jared spoke about how um, the University of Baylor, correct, did a study. And uh, for, it depend, your, your life reflects how you view God. That's just what the study came up with. And there's typically four ways people view God. And in that process, we've talked about that before. The funny thing is, when we, when we opened the church, one of our first series that we've done at City Ledge Church in our small location downtown was, Who is God? And we began to look at that. And we did this video where me and Ben walked around downtown and we just asked some people, one video camera, hey, could you tell us if you could create God, what would he look like? Or what, what would he be like if, if he was, what's your view of God? And so we had some very interesting views of God um, during that time. Somebody thought he was a cool God um, who didn't do too many drugs. Or he didn't mind if I did too many drugs, not the hard stuff, and I didn't kill anybody. That was his view of God. There was all these different views of God, and we've done a ton of YouTube videos since we've started. That has been our number one video watched by far. Um, people from all over are watching and commenting. Well, we've kind of blocked comments because they're a little weird sometimes. Um, it's true. But that we had people from all over watch that video. Why? Because people want to, there's, there's something in us that has a view of God and your life reflects that. And in that, we, after that, we, we decided Christ came and he said, he is God. He is his God's representation here on earth to us. So we kind of figured it's important for us to know who is Christ, who is Jesus. Um, and Mark, as we said in the video, gives us 16 chapters of a beautiful representation of who Christ is. And that's what we want to walk through over these next few months. We want to walk through the book of Mark and so we can understand the beauty and the goodness of who Christ is. And that reflects who God is to us. So who's excited for that? I am somebody. All right. A few of us. So we're going to start in Mark chapter one, of course, walking through Mark. And I want Jimmy to read the first eight verses where we'll be focusing this morning to us. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, let's, uh, let's give Jimmy a round of applause. I just love Jimmy's reading voice. It's wonderful. Morgan Freeman has nothing on Jimmy. We're going to do a CD, the Bible on cassette. Well, they don't make cassettes anymore. But the Bible on iPod, whatever. Uh, Jimmy, starring Jimmy. That's what we're going to do. So uh, looking at this, um, there's something that's being announced here, okay? And as I was reading this, I remember, um, have you ever just been anticipating something? Like, you just can't wait for something to happen. Anybody like did you just my in my family? Um, I've talked about this a little bit before. My father-in-law he lives for one day of the year, one day, and that day is Christmas. 
it's July, on the 25th of this month, my wife will get a phone call from her father saying, five months till Christmas. Every month it happens. He is counting the days. The day after Christmas, he will, we will get a phone call. 364 days till Christmas. He li- Do you guys know anybody like that? Who, just, who leaves their Christmas lights up all, all year because you're excited? Nobody. It's usually out of laziness. Well, he would be the one who leaves it all up if he could, but thankfully his wife makes it and take it down. There's, we get anticipated for certain things. Like, who, you guys know what I'm talking about? You just can't wait. I, in our house, Haley is just amped up. Like, it mainly starts from her grandfather, but she just gets wound up waiting for this day. Like, is tomorrow Christmas? No, Haley, not till the end of the month. So the day after tomorrow, that's not quite the end of the month, but sure, let's, let's go with that. There's, there's anticipation. Maybe, maybe Christmas isn't a big deal to you and your family. Maybe you've, who's experienced somebody who just, all right, you got that Facebook friend who's getting married. They're getting married in 2016, and you see that countdown every day on their Facebook. You know what I'm talking about? There's that anticipation. They are just stoked. They cannot wait to get married because when that day comes, it's all changed. Everything is different. They cannot wait for that day. So because you're their Facebook friend, they want you to be excited for that day as well. In my family, um, my mom, like I talked about my grand, my wife's dad, my mom, I'm going on vacation this Saturday. We're all going on vacation. Three months ago, my mom calls me and she goes, are you excited? I'm like, I'm excited for, for what? She's like, for vacation. I'm like, mom, that's in July. Like, why am I excited for vacation? She lives for, I can't wait for vacation. It's going to be so fun. It's going to go by so quick. I'm like, yes, that's true. It will go by so quick. To me, I just enjoy it when it happens. I, I don't need to like constantly be anticipating that day. I want to set the stage because here in Mark, we need to understand that if you are a Jew, you are living generation after generation after generation in anticipation for a certain day. Okay? I want you to grab this. This is like the biggest thing that you can possibly wait for is being announced. It's, it's getting ready to happen. Let's look at verse 1 here together. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Like I said, very, very be- it's, uh, this, this right here, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the word Christ, Messiah, the, the anointed one, the weighted one, the one that we're anticipating, that's the one. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's, there's an announcement being made here right from verse 1. See, if you're a Jew and you're waiting for this one, you're waiting for the promises to be fulfilled. You're waiting for the, son, the line of David that's going to sit on the eternal throne. You're, you're waiting for these prophecies from the entire Old Testament to come true. There's an anticipation building. So when this line is written, it's telling that something's happening. The Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, here's what's happened. Here's his story. You also got to realize that if you're a Jew and you're, you're, your whole nationality and your identity it was built on first God, the Moses, the Torah, the law of God, and then your kings, and then Israel as a nation is wiped out, and now they're sitting under Rome, under Roman rule. They're not sitting under God's rule. They're not sitting under Jerusalem. They're sitting under a completely different rule. So now you have people who are waiting for this day. They're, they're, they're looking back at the prophecies that there will be a kingdom that lasts forever, 
that there's a line of David, somebody who's of Jewish birth, that's going to give them a kingdom of joy and of peace that's going to last forever. This is a huge anticipation. There's some good news that's about to be announced, and they're, they're ready for it. Let's look at verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before the, your face. Let's stop there for a second. This, this is just a side note. I think that line is one of the craziest lines I've read in the last few days. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. That just sounds to me intense, like my messenger before your face. I remember playing basketball as a kid, and when my friend would make a shot over me, he'd be like, in your face, son, in your face. That, that happened a lot because I'm horrible at basketball. For some reason, that's just what pops in my head. The Isaiah, this is actually Malachi and then Isaiah. It says, I'm sending the messenger in your face. He's going in front of you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Mark here, if you look at the difference between Mark and Matthew um, and even Luke, we see this long genealogy of like, he begat him and she begat him. You know what I'm talking about? You guys remember that going through like, you know, you go to like a nativity scene and you got to read like 25 verses of begats. And you're kind of like, wait, who? Who begat who? Mark jumps right to the point. He says the promise is fulfilled. He goes right to this, pro- this, pro- this promise of, of a messenger dec- decreeing that he's here, that he's come. Mark jumps right to the point and says, look, God's fulfilling his promise. God is fulfilling his promise to you. Here comes the promised messenger. Here comes the promised Lord. It's coming right here. Are you ready for it? That's what he's saying. Let's keep looking a little bit further. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. We see John comes on the scene. And this is, I know we've, the series is called Jesus Is. And this week we're going to be talking about Jesus, the awaited Messiah. And the scripture that we're reading really focuses on John. But John comes up and he announces that he's coming. It says in fulfillment to the verse 2 and 3, prophecies that every Jew would know. These, these scriptures that foretold the coming Messiah. It says John appeared and he baptized in the wilderness, proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. I want to look at that real quick because today is an important day for some people. I don't, uh, did we mention it this morning? After service today, we will be going to Goldsboro State Park where we'll be having a barbecue and we'll be doing baptisms for some of you who haven't been baptized before. Um, this is a great day for some of you. Um, it's a huge day. And I want to explain, because we are looking at John the Baptist, I want to explain what it said, what he means by this. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. First, I want to look at the word repentance. Repentance, I don't know what, I don't know what you've grown up in church thinking about when you hear the word repentance. To me, I think it's like you're not quite repenting if you've been wailing, you know, if you haven't been wailing for a while, unless you're like, there's stains on your clothes from tears. You know, women have like the mascara, Alice Cooper face going on. That, you know, that was always my idea of repentance. Repentance is not physical emotion and crying. Repentance is a turning away from yourself toward God. It's a declaration saying, I used to be this. Now I'm following this. My old ideas were wrong. And I recognize that he is doing something different. Does that make sense? I hope so. Because some of you guys are going to be making that statement today. Um, you where you've repented, you've turned to Christ for your forgiveness. There's a turning in your mind and baptism. 
I, I don't, I think we've all come out of different backgrounds. I'm going to be careful not to offend anybody. But baptism is not your way for salvation. If you've been baptized, it does not mean that you are saved. Baptism is this. If you look at, it says, the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. It's you're baptized because you've turned your ways, because you've repented, and you've been forgiven of sins. Now you are baptized. Baptism is our way. It's a sign. It's, it's not the mean of forgiveness, but the sign that true repentance has occurred. This morning, if you're getting baptized, it's, it's a sign saying that I've repented. I've recognized that Christ is my joy. He's my hope. My life exists because of him and for him. That's why I'm getting baptized. And it's a sign to the world saying, you know what? I was dead in my sin and now I'm alive in Christ. That's good news this morning. If you're getting baptized, it's saying I am alive to the freedom that Christ, the promised one, the Messiah, the awaited one has given me. I live in response to that. That's what baptism is this morning. So I hope that clarifies a little bit before we go in through the rest of our day where you're like thinking, if I get baptized, I'll never sin again because now I'm perfect. You know, baptisms, uh, I can't sin no more. Well, sorry, your hopes will probably be smashed tomorrow um, when you realize, man, I just cursed at that guy because I'm really angry at that guy or whatever your sin typically is. Me is typically road road rage. I'm not going to lie. Um, Jared was talking about speed limits the other night. I was coming home from work at 11 o'clock. I'm just, I'm just revealing who I am. Okay. So sorry if this makes you uncomfortable. I was coming home from work and, um, I sneezed and, um, did a little swerve at the same time a cop goes by me. So my, my car kind of swerved a little bit. I see the cop in my rear view mirror, turn around, start to follow me. And I do about 24 miles an hour for about two and a half miles. And the whole time I'm just like, Oh, cop, get away from me. Oh, I just could not, I couldn't believe the nerve of this guy to follow me after I swerved into his lane. I couldn't believe it. I was so mad. And then, so he follows me for like two miles and I take, and this is a a windy road too, windy hilly road down in Duryea. And I'm just like taking every curve with precision. And after a while he veers off because he realizes I'm a good driver and stuff. (laughs) He's got nothing on me. But um, anyway, I have no idea where that, why I was telling that story other than that law was behind me. And that was my, that's my aggression. I tend to, like, when people cut me off and, uh, anyway, that's sin we'll, I'll repent of later. Let's, let's get back to the story. How about that? Baptism. Today, when you are baptized, you tell the world that you're part of God's covenant promise. We've been talking about the covenant over the last month or so where God has made covenant with his people. And baptism is us saying to the world that I'm a part of his people. I'm a part of his covenant promise. And I'm choosing to live this day in light of the cross. That every behavior I do, I'm attempting to live as a reflection of who Christ is and the covenant he has made with me. Does that sound good this morning? I think that's really exciting. That there's no like massive pressure that, you know, you, you've been baptized so you'll never sin again. No, it's, I respond. I, I told the world that my goal in life is to respond to the cross, to respond to his grace. That's why you're baptized today. If you think it's your cure-all, then you're wrong. If you think it's your means for salvation, it's, it's no you looking at Christ as your means for salvation. And then we're saying, I respond. That's, that's what it is. This wed- Jared said before, and we'll say, this wedding ring doesn't make me married, but it's my sign to the world that I'm in covenant with my wife, 
that my life now is a response to that marriage, to that day, that August 18th, 2007, when I got married, my life is a response. Same day as Ryan and Amy. We didn't know each other. Ryan, I just saw Ryan's big grin. So he's like, that day means something too. So we're good. We're uh, marriage brothers, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what you call that. So anyway, my life is a response to that. Dead to the bondage of sin and alive in the freedom of Christ. See, we've experienced the gospel. That's what baptism is. The gospel, the good news of Christ's forgiveness for us. It's telling the world I've experienced it and I'm going to be changed. My life is new. So that's encouraging. I'm excited to do that with you guys today. But that's John the Baptist here in, in, in Mark. He's calling people. He's saying, repent, be changed, and be baptized, letting people know that you're a changed person. He's calling people toward, and let's, let's look a little further. Verse 6, this verse always was weird to me as a kid and, you know, kind of left some bad imprints in my head. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Growing up in church, your little felt board pictures of John the Baptist, I did not want to be John the Baptist. Because he looked like the crazy dude you see downtown singing to himself and licking the, licking the bench at the bus stop. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there, there's a guy that I see quite often who is like singing and dancing in the streets. And maybe he's really happy. But my impression, that guy's crazy. Maybe he's really happy. But you guys know what I'm talking about. Like that crazy. This was my, always my understanding of John the Baptist. Like this guy is nuts. He's eating locusts and wild honey. He's wearing camel skin. Like, didn't he have some cool clothes to wear? Like, that's not what's going on here, though. Like, as, as I studied, as I've, I've had to remove some ideas about Scripture in my head as I re- really study. What's going on here is that this is the typical life of a nomad, of a desert dweller. This is the typical life of a person who's not concerned about trying to live the city life and impress people. This is the typical life... Well, see, you can see in Scripture of somebody who lives in the desert and they have one goal. Typically, it's survival. But in John's case, it was baptizing and proclaiming a message. Um, so, a life of one commitment. That's who John is. The, the, those verses should tell you one thing. He's got one commitment. He's got one aim in his life. And that's to proclaim that message. The cry in the wilderness. I've always thought, like I said earlier, that John was the person that I never wanted to be like. And if you look at Jesus' thoughts on John, look at Matthew chapter 11 real quick. I just want to touch this real briefly. I think this is really cool. Starting in verse 9, what then did you see? Did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way for you. Then Jesus says, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent taken by force. For all the prophets and all the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has come. Jesus says, of everybody who has ever lived, ever There's no one greater than John the Baptist. He's the best. Out of all the prophets, he's the best. But then when you're born in the kingdom, you're greater than he is. 
He's saying there's a new day. Now, once you've become born in the kingdom, when you've accepted me, when, you, when you've experienced this life change, you're greater than John the Baptist. Jesus says John the Baptist was the last guy. to. He said up until the end of the prophets here, for, verse 13, for all the prophets and the law until John. They all prophesied up until John. Jesus says John's the last man, the last prophet declaring the new kingdom. He's the last dude singing it out. He's the last one letting people know the day is coming. It's happening. He's the last one. This is, this is big news. John gets to be this guy. His life's goal is one commitment to decree that a new day is happening. Good things are happening. The promised one, the awaited Messiah is coming. And it's coming now. It's coming here. This is exciting stuff. Especially for them. If they were really getting a hold that John's the voice crying in the wilderness, if they really believed it, it's exciting. And people are changing their life. They're coming from Jerusalem, Judea, being baptized because they're awaiting this promise. They're, they're awaiting this day when the Lord, the one who's going to make things right, is coming. And here John gets to be that one saying, here I am. This is, this is awesome stuff. When I, think, when I think about going back to Christmas, thinking about John the Baptist, John is kind of like in our house. We have this, um, we have this snowman, everything. If you've been to our house in Christmas time, everything is snowmen. Uh, I think one of our friends counted the amount of snowmen in our house. My wife likes to decorate for Christmas. I think he counted like 300 and some snowmen just in the living room and kitchen alone. There's a lot of snowmen in our house, but we have the snowman calendar and it has little pockets and one with each day, number one through 25, right? And you put a little magical star inside his pockets. And each day says something. Oh, it's December. Like he's got this crazy little voice. Oh, it's December 13th. Santa's making his cookies or whatever he does, you know. Then you get to December 24th. And it's this big epic. It's almost here. He's right here. He's in a sleigh. John is the one, the last voice. He's December 24th saying, you don't have to wait anymore. Tomorrow's the day. It's right here. The big day is here. This is who John is. He gets to be that guy. He gets to be the last one to say that the awaited Messiah is here. It's all going to change starting tomorrow. It's all going to change. The things that you've been hoping for, you've been dreaming for, it's all happening tomorrow. Some may be excited. I am. I'm pretty, I'm pretty thrilled this morning that my life has been changed by that day. John's aim, John the Baptist's aim was to point people to the promised Messiah, to Christ, and then to baptize them because they responded to him. Our aim as believers is pretty similar. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus is the great commission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, he lived a life in anticipation for the cross. And now we live a life in response to the cross. Christ has said, let everybody know. Repent, be my disciple, be baptized, saying that you've been part of me now. You're part of my community. This is good news this morning. This is the, the word gospel in verse 1. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He's announcing it. The scene is changing. Let's move on to verse 7. Verse 7 says this. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, 
the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. To you, that might just sound like an analogy of some sort. He's saying, here he comes, and I can't, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. As I studied this, I found that the only people who might untie somebody else's sandals were servants. And even then, you wouldn't do it as a Jew. It was disgraceful for a Jew to untie another person's sandals. John says, I'm not even worthy to be disgraced by him. I'm not even good enough to humble myself to him. I, 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 I can't even do that. That's not even, that's not even in, my, in my mind. That would be prideful for me to disgrace myself for him. There's a recognition that John has that the Messiah is more important than his dignity, his place, or his personal own value. Because the existence of the Messiah and the adoration of the Messiah is his place, his dignity, and his personal value. John recognized that his value and his identity was all pointing to him, all toward looking at him. That's the only thing that mattered. That's the only thing that gave him purpose. This morning, we, we've sang that in our songs. That's what we sing about. That all, I, all I need is you. That you're my everything. John was a, a, a man who realized that the existence of, of Christ is his everything. That the reason he was here is to proclaim him and his goodness. And that something's about to change. We see in Acts chapter 17, we see it's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. We, 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 we quote these scriptures all the time. But I, I, I hope that my life is more than just quoting these scriptures. But a real understanding that that day happened and I live because of him. That this is real because of him. We've also said here that the Westminster Catechism says the chief end of, of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. The reason that you and I exist, the thing that would give us the most joy, the most purpose is to know and understand God and enjoy him. We get to enjoy the freedom that's in Christ. We get to enjoy the freedom that came from the awaited Messiah. <clears throat> Verse 8. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is where we're going to end this morning um, in our look at Mark. John says this, he said, I've, I've been baptizing you with water. I've been giving you a sign, a sign, but you really haven't had any power out of that sign. I've, I've, you've been declaring to people that you're changed. But when he comes, when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. To them, as a Jew, this was not a new idea of the Holy Spirit. This is something that they've seen come on people. They've seen it on Moses. They've seen it on David. They've seen it on Samson. They've seen it on Saul. They've seen the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, come and do something on somebody. Just just for a little bit. He's come on them and they've done something powerful or awesome and then it's been gone. John says when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be submerged. You're going to be completely dunked in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. John says what, I, what I've done is just with water. But when he comes, 
Your whole life's changed. There's a power. There's something that you, you've only heard about. You've only read about where these select men get to experience it a little bit. He says, here it comes in depth. You're completely covered with it. When he comes, it is a big day. This is, if you're, if you're a Jew, I want you to, under, to feel the anticipation. You're just waiting for this day. You might have your own ideas of what it looks like. You might have some different thoughts of what it's going to feel like. But you're waiting for a day, anticipating that good things are happening. There will be real power. There will be real joy. In Isaiah chapter 32, it says, it prophesies of the Spirit. Until the Spirit is poured out upon, upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. When that spirit's come out, the wilderness, the place that was dead, becomes fruitful. It's saying that when the spirit's on us, the place in our life that was dead, that was junk, that was ruined, that was rubbish, that was trash, becomes fruit. There's real fruit and there's real goodness in that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes into our lives and he changes with the fruit of the spirit. We're changed by that. Our lives are changed, and it's not just something that comes on a select few of us and does a few, gives us the power to do a few things. It sits and dwells inside of us. Scripture says that he's the te- we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. This is a big day that John is announcing. When he comes, he will baptize you with the Spirit. He lives in us. He dwells in us, and he gives us the power to be completely different. Everything is completely different now. This is the same power that was on Saul and David and Moses and Samson. And he's saying it's going to live inside of you. Not just come visit. It's going to live inside of you. I want to close with just kind of, we have a big day planned. But I want, I want you to really walk away realizing that the anticipation for, for his goodness is over. That he has fulfilled the promise. As it says in verse 2, the, prom, the promise is, is, is it's here. It's happened. He has come, and if we know the rest of the Mark and Matthew, he has come and he's paid the penalty for us for our sins. We get to walk free of the curse of sin. That we're not held down to that anymore. We don't have to sin anymore. We have the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to say no to sin and all ungodliness, Scripture says. We also realize that the good news is that we're right with the Father. Our church declares this over and over again. You do not have to work to be good with God. He's done that work for you. This is the awaited Messiah. This is he who was prophesied about. He's here and he's come. And we have the Holy Spirit, the power that changes our lives. Jesus, the awaited Messiah, has come and we live in response. <clears throat> like I said earlier about a wedding. If if you've been waiting for a wedding and then you got married and you understand the covenant of marriage, what that looks like, your life is completely changed after that wedding day. Correct? <clears throat> Guys, you know what I'm talking about? The things you were allowed to do before, you couldn't do. And the things you couldn't do before, now you can. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe. Some of you. <clears throat> your life is completely changed. For good or, uh, well, for good. For good. He who finds a good wife finds a good thing, right? Right? Okay. Jesus is the awaited Messiah, like a, a bride waiting for the groom, or like a groom waiting for a good bride. My life is completely different. When, when I've understood the goodness of God, my life is a response to that day. 
when I'm in covenant with my Savior, with, with Christ, and with God, my life is a response to that day. It doesn't mean I don't slip up. Because believe me, husbands, your wife will tell you when you slip up. Wives, hopefully you have a good husband who knows how to tell you when you slip up in the proper way so it doesn't tick you off. So anyway, we live in response to that day. Jesus said, go and make disciples and be baptized. This morning we get to do that. God has come to us and now our lives are changed. Today we get to declare that with baptism with fellowship together as the body, the bride of Christ. We are the bride in covenant with him. We respond to him this morning. Jesus is the awaited Messiah. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. His spiritual kingdom has been established. And we, we also recognize that we live in hope of when he comes and restores his physical kingdom that all things are made new, that he's, he's brought peace on the earth in every way, not just in a spiritual way, but in a physical, real way that we can see. This is exciting news this morning, that the awaited Messiah has come and he's coming again. This is good stuff. I'm excited, and I hope you are, about walking through the book of Mark with us, seeing Christ. I know these first eight verses were really primarily about John preparing the way, setting the stage. And as we walk through this, I hope that you can see that the way to Messiah is coming, and it's a big deal. Let's, let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness. God, we just reflect on you. God, that you're, first off, you're a faithful God who keeps his promises to us. God, that you've come and you've, you've established your spiritual kingdom so that we can be right with you. Father, we, we put our hope in you. We put our trust in you, knowing that you are good. God, I pray that we leave this place with a joy and an excitement recognizing your goodness and your faithfulness to us. That you've come and your Holy Spirit's in us. God, that each day is a new day. We live in light of that day where you have come for us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.